looking over this, it's been amazing because it's just a reminder to me of even what's going on today. And what the Lord is going to do in the future because what we're looking at here in this chapter is going to be um, revelation, prophecy. So we're going to pick up with number three, the major number three, Roman numeral three, behold the prospect. They had to consider the past, they had to consider the future or the present, now the prospect or the future. This is going to take us beyond the, prop, the time of Haggai the prophet, looking in to the future, to what will come in maybe an hour time. That's why I said this morning how all things come together with God's word, how relevant the word of God is. Because uh, we're going to be looking at what God is going to do. It did not happen yet, as you can imagine when we get into the language here of verses 6 to 9. Let's look at this. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Verse 7, And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. Amen. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Amen. Isn't that our prayer? Peace in Israel. Pray that prayer. Think about God's promises, God's will. And that's what we're looking at here. This is the will of God. He wants peace. He doesn't want war. But the truth of the matter is, man wants war. Man wants destruction. Man's sin wants war. That's what we're seeing today. So letter A, we see the Lord and his power. Verses 6 and 7. The Lord is going to shake all nature, and the Lord is going to shake all nations. Think about that. He's going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea, and the dry land. That's nature. Verse 7, and I will shake what? All nations. 
Brethren, this is apocalyptic in scope or prophetic. Now go to the New Testament. This is where we want to make the connection. Matthew 24 is uh, the, the Olivet Discourse on the Mount of Olives. And what does the Lord say in verse 7? For nation shall rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, if you get the context here, just so everyone understands... Go down verse 21. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. So, brethren, what what we're seeing in verse 7 of Matthew 24, when it says the beginning of sorrows, this is what's leading into the great tribulation. This could very well be in our time. And we know it is because of nation rising up against nation, famines, pestilences, earthquakes. You know, we don't want to be alarmist in the sense of trying to make something that's not really happening. But as far as I understand, according to science and data reporting, that earthquakes have increased in our time. So it's not, we're not trying to just, I mean, obviously all throughout history there's been earthquakes. and Bad earthquakes. But it... I believe in our time, they are increasing. The wars, there's been how many world wars and, and uh, how many nations involved? We know World War I, World War II. But what about today? There's wars going on in places that we don't read it in the headlines, you know, and we just become numb to really what's going on in the world. I don't know what you've been thinking since Israel declared war. Has that even changed the way you're living or thinking this weekend? That's a kind of an example. Some people, it just doesn't affect that. This is really should be uh, sobering, life-changing news. And yet we just go on and as if life is going to be forever normal. So I think, I always ask, you know, what is it going to take? What is the Lord going to have to allow for Christians to really wake up 
and get close to God and, and really start doing what God called us to do, what is it going to take? So we do we see this prophecy shaking of nature, shaking of the nations. Not like what we've seen up till now. That's what I need you to understand. Now go to Revelation chapter 6. When God pours out his judgments on the earth, there will be a real shaking like never before. Chapter 6 of Revelation, verse 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig, as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll. When it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every freeman, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come. Who should be able to stand? And we know this. No one will stand in that day. People think they're unmovable today, right? Unshakable. No one can affect them. No one can dethrone them. Because they are so secure. That's what, what we were seeing back in um, Psalm 10. You know, the wicked, the wicked man today. They're secure. They're confident. But here we see what God's going to do. There's going to be a real shaking of nature and of the nations. And so, in such a way that everyone's going to run and hide. This isn't just, you know, like a little tremor. When you, when you describe here the heavens being rolled back, The, the stars falling to the earth. That's very, the shaking is a violent shaking. Now, in Haggai's day, obviously, they were, uh, we could say, a kind of a mild shaking. You know, they were probably looking around saying, man, you know, this is going to come on us. This We're going to be suffering. There's going to be war. Uh, they're going to, you know, take us away. And this is terrible. 
you know, what's going on in the world, right? Obviously, news traveled in a different way back then. The Greeks were starting to rise up in power. So you had the West, the Greeks, their presence in the West. And But brethren, when we go back to our text, nothing is in that day is compared to what Haggai was prophesying. Do you agree with me? This is future. This is apocalyptic. This is something for the future. So we do know, go back to Matthew 24, the great tribulation. I guess we're going to go back and forth a little bit. Go to Matthew 24, verse 29 now. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Didn't we just read that over in Revelation 6? So here you are. Here's the witness. You got... Haggai the prophet prophesying. You got Jesus telling us what's going to happen. And the uh, apostle John is also, Jesus is giving him this revelation. But they're speaking of this one event. And then it says, verse 30, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. That's uh, the desire of nations, like we're going to read. All the tribes is all the nations of the earth. They see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. This is what's going to happen in the future. We read about the seals. Now look at the trumpets in Revelation chapter 8, the trumpet judgments. Revelation chapter 8, verse 8. And the second angel sounded... And as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. The third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and, and had life died. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. And the third angel sounded and there fell a great star from heaven burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of the waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. The fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten. And the third part of the moon and the third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened and the day shone, 
for a third part of it and the night likewise. And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voice of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound. Go to chapter 9 of Revelation. Verse 13. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels, which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loose, which were prepared for an hour, and a day, and a month, and a year, for to slay the third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen were two hundred thousand thousand. And I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. And them that sat on them, having breastplates of fire and of jacinth and brimstone, and the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. By these three was the third part of men killed by the fire, by the smoke, by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails were like unto serpents and had heads, and which with them they do hurt. And the rest of the men which were not killed by the plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands. Isn't that amazing to you? Here they are suffering. And that tells us today. You look around, you may have family members, they're just wallowing around in the muck and mire of sin. And you're like, what? This is the heart of man. They're being judged by God. They're suffering at the hand of God. And they still don't repent. Brethren, people walked in the presence of Jesus and rejected him and cried out, crucify him. That's the heart of man. So it shouldn't, as much as we're burdened, and, and I don't think it shouldn't, I'm not, you should be affected by it, by th these things in your family and family members. You shouldn't get hardened in your heart. You should be affected, but also there should be understanding. Yeah, I know why they're like that. I know why they don't respond says it right here in the word of God they want their sin they want their sin they want their selfishness more than they want salvation and forgiveness and we ask why would anyone do that and that's just the nature of sin and the nature of man so here they are verse 20 and the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils, idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk, neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication. 
nor of their thefts. They love their religion, their false religion, and they love their sin that they can't let it go. Now go to chapter 16, the vile judgments. We're not reading everything. <laughs> you'll read, if you're finishing the Bible this year, you'll be reading the book of Revelation, amen. You'll get it. Chapter 16, verse 12. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, and the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles. The devil, hey, listen to this, the devil is a miracle worker. Don't think just because there's miracles it's of God. Hey, you better have more discernment than that. For they are the spirit of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world and gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty, behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. And he gathered them together in the place, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. That's that great war. And the seventh angel poured out the vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. There were voices, thunders and lightnings. There was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great, the great city was divided into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. Just like the Egyptians, just like Pharaoh. Isn't he a picture? Of what man is like. Instead of heart softening his heart. He hardened his heart. And he said oh, no, I'm going to make him suffer even more. These. They're getting bombarded by God's judgment. And they're like. They blaspheme God more. They don't repent. Do we see. Um. As you go into the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel the prophet, you'll be reading about Russia, Gog and Magog, remember, in the future war. That's why everyone's like, okay, what's Russia going to do? What's China going to do? Because they are in prophecy. And so they're going to invade Israel. 
That's when this uh, Armageddon is going to take place in chapter 19. But Ezekiel 38 to 39. Isn't it, it, it shouldn't be strange to us that Rush is aligned with Syria, aligned with Israel's enemies. And they give them the arms. They arm them against. And what's happening in, you know, with Hamas and Hezbollah, all that, they're being funded and armed from outside. They don't have it themselves. I know Iran, but then you got those alliances, those evil acts, axes of, of these nations. And they are no friend of Israel and they're no friend of America. That should tell us something. Now you got people in Washington, a small amount, who would love to be friends with these enemies. It's like when something like this happens in the war with Israel, they start taking the side of the enemies. Isn't that wicked and evil? Why, why are they representing us in Washington? If they're enemies of Israel and enemies of America and friends with the enemies, and support the enemies. Why should they even be getting a paycheck from the taxpayers? This is that should get you upset. What's going on with Haggai then? We're looking at all this, and we're like, oh, this is coming. Well, the message for them is, you don't have to worry if you're on God's side. You don't have to fear if you're on God's side. Look at the power of God. He has all power to shake nature, shake the nations, but he has all power to keep you safe. Amen. Go back to our text. I knew it would, I, I gave, you know, it looks like there's only a few verses, so let's just get through it. But I realized there's a lot of prophecy here, and I didn't want to just, yeah, read that, read this over there, read, and, you know, not put it together for you this morning, because I think we ought to really connect with what's going on today and what's about to come in our world. Letter A, the Lord and his power. Let her be the Lord and his presence. Amen. Verse 7, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord. Brethren, he is the one everyone's waiting for. He is the one every human heart yearns for, whether they know it or not. They need him. Amen. In fact, even Romans 8 says, the creation is groaning for that redemption, that longing for him. Now, here's the picture. That first temple, Solomon's temple was resplendent in silver, gold, costly woods, gorgeous fabrics. But the new temple had nothing. The one they were looking at, that they just built. And they're like, 
That's why some of them that were alive and saw that first temple, they're crying, they're weeping. But that second temple had something Solomon's temple didn't have. And the second temple, the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. This very humble temple. Now, what did Herod do? Herod, uh, Herod is the one who built it all up in Jesus' time and made it pretty. The same temple that we're reading about that they built when they went back from the captivity, the one they're weeping over. Herod made it all nice and pretty. But I don't think God really recognized that. So it's this humble temple, this second temple, where Jesus was brought as a baby into that temple, amen, to be offered up to God. This is the same temple that he sat there as a boy teaching the doctors of the law. This is the same temple where he sat and he taught about the things that were hidden from the foundations of the world. He's revealing them to mankind. This is the same temple where he chased out the money changers that defiled it and he cleansed the temple, claiming that it was his father's house of prayer. Amen. And so when Jesus came, the glory, the desire of all nations to fill the house with glory, the Bible says, John said, we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. That's amazing. Now, there will be a third temple. And that's what you kind of hear about. Because this temple's gone. There's no temple. And you're, you, you hear, you know, that they're preparing the materials and they're getting the red heifer and for the sacrifice and they're getting ready for the third temple. But the same people doing that don't understand. I mean, they understand that God's promise, right? But they don't know Jesus Christ. They don't know what's going to happen in the meantime because they don't recognize the New Testament. They don't recognize Christ. They're just going by Haggai the prophet, the Old Testament prophets. But we can connect it all, amen? You're sitting here and you're like, Haggai and Matthew 24 and Revelation 6 and 8 and 9 and 16. And wow, we get the whole picture here, amen? They don't have that. That's sad, is it not? Only if they would, well, those, there'll be a day when those in Israel who are here on the earth will be saved. They will know. When he comes back, they're going to they're gonna know he is the Messiah. It's like Paul, right, on the road to Damascus. He said, he heard the voice from him and said, Lord. He's saying, God. And then God said, I am Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, you are the Messiah. You're the Savior. You're the Lord. Jesus, what will thou have me to do? 
That's what, that ha that's what happened there for his salvation. He heard God speaking from heaven, and God said, I am Jesus. He said, it's true. He's the son of God. He's the Messiah. I receive you. I humble myself. Lord, what will you have me to do? Let me be baptized. Let me preach Christ. And that's what he did. Amen. That's the kind of moment they're going to have one day. Amen. Like Paul. They're going to see Jesus and they're going to say, he is the Messiah, my Savior. The desire of all nations will, shall come. Verse, uh, letter C, I got to get through this. I thought, man, I, I'll get, be done early. The Lord and his possessions. We have the Lord, his power, his presence. Letter C, his possessions. Look what he says. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Listen, you may not be able to scrape two nickels together here on earth, but in heaven you're going to be enjoying all the gold and silver and all the precious stones. You're going to have an inheritance that fadeth not away. It's reserved in heaven for you. It's the greatest payday ever coming. It's the greatest retirement plan ever made in human history. Amen. Let's get excited about that instead of worrying about everything we don't have. Let's think about everything we do have. Amen. <laughs> Isn't this amazing when you start putting it together, brother? Hey, you're rich. Jesus is your savior. Jesus is your brother. You are a joint heir with Christ. So why we live like we do then? Why do we complain like we do then? Well, that's why we get, a, get our minds straight on Sunday, man. Get our vision straight. Get our focus back. Get our, our vision refocused again. So that we can say, you know what? I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to be anxious. I'm not going to live in fear. I'm going to be secure in Christ and what he's given me and everything I have in him. I'm going to be thankful I'm going to thank him for all the blessings instead of complain about all the things I don't have. So what is it that the Lord needs? Here they are crying about their temple, but God said, I don't need your gold and silver. Don't be crying over that. Amen. So if he wanted to create whole galaxies of gold, he could do that, amen. You see, the presence or absence of gold was wholly immaterial to God. Really, the value of the temple and, brethren, the value of our lives is by our sacrifice and devotion to him. Not so much, well, I got a million dollars. Well, they only have one dollar. Oh, they're great. They're nothing. No. That person has a heart. This person say, oh, look at me. 
So, what does God want? <laughs> he wants your heart, amen. He wants your devotion. He wants you to give your best to him and, and honor him in your heart and serve him out of love and gratitude, amen. So, I like that. And that's when we talk about, you know, Herod and um, wasn't rebuilt, enlarged, and embellished, but God didn't re, God really didn't accept that because that was just outward, wasn't it? From Herod, he he didn't he didn't fear God. He was just building himself a name, Herod's temple, not God's temple. And then that was destroyed, by the way. And then we have, last of all, but not least of all, verse 9. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Brethren, the Lord in his peace, verse 9. I believe we have Ezekiel's millennial temple here as heir and success, successor of Zerubbabel's temple. We believe that that temple will be built after the shaking that we just read about of nature and of nations. It will function during Christ's reign on earth, millennial reign, thousand years, as uh, we see in Ezekiel chapters 40 to 48. Isaiah's gospel as well. Let's, let's read a few of those. Go to Isaiah 60. Verse 1. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness peep the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thine eyes round about, and see. All they gather themselves together, they shall come to thee. Thy son shall come from far, thy daughter shall be nursed at thy side. Then thou shalt see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. The forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. So this is during that time of the millennium. And uh, they're going to bring their wealth, is what God's showing us in his word. So what does he promise? Not only his presence and his glory and his power, but God promises his peace. Isaiah 9, 6 tells us about that. You know, reading Isaiah reminded me that how you can preach the gospel right out of Isaiah. There's so much in Isaiah that's why I said Isaiah's gospel. For Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called what? Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and what? The Prince 
of peace. Amen. The Prince of Peace. So, brethren, that's when true peace is coming, when Jesus comes back, when Jesus rules and reigns. But until then, we can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. We can have peace with God because of his death, his atoning death, his shed blood, his victorious resurrection gives you peace. And then when you pray, amen, in Philippians 4, you exchange your anxiety for the peace of God, which keeps your hearts and minds by Christ Jesus. So, brethren, our conclusion, it's better to fail in an endeavor that you know will ultimately succeed than to succeed in an endeavor in an endeavor you know will ultimately fail. Amen. The humble temple the Jewish remnant was constructing would not last. And even Herod's ornate temple would be destroyed by the Romans. But there would one day be a glorious temple that nobody could destroy or defile. Knowing this, the discouraged remnant could take courage and finish their work. Amen? Believers today can stand firmly on the same promise of God, the promise of the Messiah and His kingdom. Think, too, what a marvelous privilege it is for any of us to be working on, God, on God's awesome plan, every true servant of the Lord. Labors not for the kingdom that is perishing or fading away, but for an everlasting kingdom that will never perish, spoil, or fade. No matter what frustrations we encounter or what dire circumstances we face, we can be assured that the Lord is with us. He will strengthen us to complete His work. God always provides the need, needed resources for those who are obedient to His call and live by His word. Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Sunday school is over. We'll get ready.